Hello, everyone. Welcome to Breakthrough Speaks as part of our Let's Talk initiative, real conversation with real people about their real lives. Here at the Breakthrough Movement, we are dedicated to using our platform to take on real world issues. So as you sit back and listen, we ask that you please take care of yourselves because we are sometimes serious, sometimes silly, but we are straight up all of the time. Today, I am back with my two brothers from Other Mothers, uh, Mr. Garrett and Mr. Jason. Welcome, guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Always glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so obviously the, the the sort of really big news over the last couple of days is the reaction to Derek Chauvin being found guilty um, of George Floyd's murder and, and people's various reactions to that. Um, and actually, I'm going to go back for a second if you guys can sort of just sort of put out there your reaction to initially hearing and or seeing um, those events from last year when 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 it actually happened. You're talking about the original like yeah the original incident I heard the original that. incident um horrifying I I don't know I don't know how other word to choose. Um, it was, I just remember like gasping, just like, I can't like what, like nine minutes, really? It was like, at the time they thought it was eight something. And I was like, really? Eight minutes. You have to be on his neck for eight minutes. Like that to me, like just, I just didn't like, and when you watch the video, he's, he's not fighting. You don't see him fighting. I, I, I don't know. Like I just was. I was completely uh, flabbergasted, honestly. It, I, it was, uh, yeah, there's just no words. I just remember thinking the world is ending. <laughs> this is gonna be the thing. And it did for a little while. I mean, things blew up and rightfully so. I mean, you know, I just remember like people, you know, especially you watch like Fox News or something and they're like, Oh, you know, so he did this and he was this, you know, this kind of guy and he did all this. It was like, like trying to paint him as a bad person. And I'm like, okay, but does that mean he deserved to die in that moment? Does that mean that he deserved that? So the original incident for me, obviously, like we're so far removed being on the East Coast from that. But it was all happening around us anyway. I mean, in New York City, the protests were everywhere. You know, I'm still reading articles about people who are just now getting prosecuted because they, you know, where I used to live, where we lived in uh, Whitestone, a guy tried to run through protesters with his car. He, he, he had a, and he had a glove with like knives attached to it. And he started going after people with it because he didn't agree with their protest or whatever. It was just like, like, look, it's, it's, it's insane to me, you know, and, but my original reaction, I just, I just remember like being horrified by what I was seeing and, and, and just completely like, I just didn't understand. I just couldn't, I couldn't understand that three people, like even, even if it had just been the two guys on his back, like that's still it. When you stop fighting, you stop fighting, you know? So what, at what point is that? 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm just talking now because I'm still like, I still, when I think about it, I don't, I don't really know how to process what that was. So. I feel um, initially up when watching the video, I mean, Jay, you hit it on the head, like the gasp of, of just like, what, what, you know, and confusion. Um, I was, I was in, I was angry um and in like it was um an infuriation um confusion as to you know all of <clears throat> the detail involved you know the different people that were there the different officers that were there that were not doing what would be an appropriate response um the people that were you know, calling for him to get off, you know, and the way that he just kind of, yeah, it was, um, the, and then, you know, Jay, there was another part, like the world was ending, like twilight zone, you know, uh, um, like how, how, gruesome i mean it just yeah it's still it's i think it's one of those things that we'll try people for years will be trying to put into words and maybe and that's what art is for (laughs) to try to figure out how to put that you know how to to put that into words um i think one of the things that stands out in my mind in in kind of experiencing the different uh, the politicization, politicization, uh, I'm saying that word totally wrong, but the, the, how it was so tribal in regard to like all these different ways that people reacted and felt about it. Um, and, and how it's, it's had such a spark of, of, um, intensity and movement and energy on all different sides and axes was the, was attributed to how gruesome it was and how in your face it was and how inexcusable it was and how undeniable it was because of, of this video. So, um, yeah, in, just that I, I really kind of have to agree with, with, with Jay, just complete, utter anger, infuriation, confusion. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, I mean, it's an interesting moment in time because for the most part, we were all at home. So there wasn't that same, like, you know, I have to, I have to go to work. I have to do, you know, all of these other things. I have to, um, you know, life was a lot slower than, than what we were all used to. Uh, so we weren't necessarily, you know, running around in the same way. Uh, so, you know, this, this sort of, this, this, mo- this nine minute moment, um, we were sort of forced to digest it in a very different way than, than other things that had happened. Uh, and it, it's, you know, it sucks because when I look back at 
you know, those that like week or so afterwards. Um, I mean, yes, like horrified and angry and, and frustrated um, and sad, um, but I wasn't surprised. And that I think that for me is the worst part is that like I watched the various videos that were out at the time and you know there was as shocking as that video is I I wasn't shocked by it um and I think that I think that speaks volumes about the relationship between people of color and law enforcement especially when you look at like big urban sprawls um so you know and and i mean ultimately you know our our initial discussions about what happens in george floyd and you know brianna taylor and amart aubrey um you know led to the creation of this podcast um you know the, the project that we sort of sort of like tweaked out in those early days evolved into this so um it's you know i you know like you said i think it's something that we'll be talking about for a very long time um you know and it's it's interesting that we're almost a year later um or at least a year later from us going into quarantine and the trial happens um and he's found guilty um it's, you know, it's interesting because I was surprised. Um, you know, I think I saw a video where like the statistic is like one, one in like a hundred officers who get involved in like a shooting, an officer involved in shooting where, the, where it's a person of color gets convicted. Um, and it's something like, like five in a hundred even get like indicted. Um, so it's, it's, it's bittersweet. And we were talking about this a little bit the other day, Garrett, that like, like, yes, like he deserves to go to jail. Like in, in that, in that specific sense, like justice is served. Um, but there is something that's like, there is that sense of, of the other shoe is going to drop in some way and like we don't necessarily know what it is yet we don't necessarily see it but you know it feels you know even though i know in intellectually it's a step in the right direction um because it does set a legal precedent that can be used going forward um it doesn't necessarily feel that way i feel like <clears throat> in in kind of going back to reacting to now, you know, trial happens, um, and we get the his three guilty verdicts. The thing for me in reaction to it, especially since like since the since the murder of George Floyd, like eight nine, however many months ago, it's been now. To now, there have been countless more incidents of in similar circumstances. Like I, I can't even remember all their names. Like there was one in Columbus, Ohio, 
on the same day, what was it, two days ago now that he was mm-hmm. at the the um, the decision had, had was announced. Um, and just today in my newsfeed um, for YouTube, not to get back to our algorithm conversation, <laughs> but the algorithm knows that I'm in in the North Carolina area. And so literally just in my YouTube feed, 10 minutes before we got on to this call was a video, you know, a black teen shot down by police, something, something, something out just outside of Charlotte, mm. something like that. And I'm just like, it's like every day, every, every other day, twice a day, three times, we don't even know. And I, and, um, I, one of my feelings going back to two days ago, I just, I, there wasn't a sense of relief for me um, or joy or like, there wasn't any of that. I felt icky. Um, I felt disgusted that when I, when you look at it, it's like, here's this legal precedence and this is a step and this could be a turning point in the right direction. And I, God willing, that is the case because goodness knows there's this particular event that we're talking about, like spider webs out into a lot of different things. But I was just disgusted that it's a, it had to be a, a, a nine minute video. And in the perfect scenario of us all watching it, and, and the world being ignited and going in protest um, to take to take us to a place where, oh, there's finally a conviction and oh, there's a um, some sort of precedent to, to find now we can we can have this this conversation. Um, it just felt or it just felt icky. And I'm still trying to figure out what that is to be honest with you. yeah yeah um so uh it's interesting because i'm i'm and i guess i'll put this out there to you guys you know do we see this as do we see this as something that can be considered legal precedent in a way that you know like a like a Roe v. Wade or a Brown versus Board of Education, like something that will 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 move some needle in some way, or is this you know just another statistic, a one in one hundred, and um, you know the the status quo will simply continue as we as we investigate the Dante rights and the you know the the, the kid stabbed in Charlotte, the shot in Charlotte and the, the girl who was just shot, you know, and like, you know, is this something that we see, especially in light of, you know, the the attorney general launching an investigation into, you know, many of the, the police force in, in Minneapolis and, you know, there's, there's this giant outcry sort of publicly, um, but do we, do we think that that this is something that is on that level? Or is it just, you know, is it just something to sort of help people calm down as, as we keep the, the machine sort of moving the way it is? You're muted, Jay, I can't hear you. 
Sorry, I muted myself because of the other thing. Um, the idea of a precedent, I don't think it really applies. It's not it's not a legal precedent to prosecute a police officer. Um, what it where it does seem to where there does seem to be a huge shift is in that other police officers came out and said what he did was wrong. And if this gives other police officers the courage to stand up and say, hey, you need to stop, or if this gives politicians and police departments the impetus to create policy that says you have an obligation to step in and in a, in a situation where someone's out of line or out of hand or going too far, if it does that, then, then, then it's a step in the right direction, right? And that seems to be happening. Um, it seems to be a situation where there are priests, uh, departments like saying, okay, this is a thing now we have to have, you know, so you have, you have an obligation as an officer of the law, if your colleague is, is going too far doing the wrong thing to step in on behalf of that citizen. Um, so that i mean that's the precedent that i see being having been set that now officers that 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 blue wall of silence has kind of got a couple of holes in it um whether or not it will crumble as cnn seems to hope it will or think it has i i can't say um but it's definitely poked a few holes in it you know um, and I think that's important. I think, I think that change is going to take a long time, like real change, like across the board. And it's going to have to happen locally. It's going to have to become a culture shift in the world of policing in terms of, of the, in their interactions and well, first their, their place in society and what their role really is. And then, you know, how within that role they are to interact and communicate with the public and with the people that they serve, because ultimately they're supposed to be serving the public, right? They're not, not policing the serving the public or ruling the public. They're supposed to be serving the public. And even that person who's committing a crime, they're, they're required to serve them on some level. And provided that person isn't putting someone else's life in danger, you don't get to put that person's life in danger. You know, I think, you know, Garrett, you mentioned the, the girl in Columbus. I don't know if you saw that video. Uh, I saw it this morning. It's... She had the knife, is that the... I saw, yeah, I watched it this morning. She had a girl against the car, pushed a girl against the car and was going at her. Now. Did I think it required four gunshots? Probably not. She probably gotten shot once in the in the ass, and she probably would have dropped it, and it would have been over, right? Four four gunshots to the to the to the body mass. I mean, she's a big girl, so she was a big girl too. So, you know, it's not like it would have been a difficult shot. <laughs> no, that sounds horrible, but you know, they, they, there's you know, they could have they could have done something that wasn't deadly force. They, they didn't need to use deadly force to to get. Her to stop, I don't think. Hundred percent. No. 
horse? Yes, possibly, probably, most likely, because she was going. Like she was going after this woman. I, I want the this in just doing a little bit of research. I don't want to say research, but just revisiting some videos I've watched on YouTube and just kind of going down the rabbit hole that this conversation leads to in regard to defunding the police or um, reappropriating the funding for the police, looking at the roles that police have in our society, what it is that they're truly supposed to be doing. One of the things that that I saw a few videos on that makes a lot of sense is like, like you were saying, was did we need four gunshots did we need one gunshot um and i found a lot of videos akai and i'd love to hear your perspective on the idea of our of our officers being trained in brazilian jiu-jitsu so that they are trained highly trained in the martial art that is um if i'm if i'm understanding correctly fundamentally about disarming who you're working with um i don't know how you know again when you have a gun like i i you know but it just it goes to this idea of training if this person had different training going into the scenario how could it have how how could that difference of training have changed the outcome of the situation yeah i mean it, yes because she had a knife she had a knife yeah Right. So we're not talking about a person who had a gun and was a threat to the, the officer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, is that there are a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of like legal wiggle room that they create for like modern policing. So a lot of times um, and I can only speak to what I've spoken to someone who used to work in the NYPD. So I know that that's something that exists in New York and um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if similar language exists on the books elsewhere. Um, but for most police, the use of deadly force allows for the response of deadly force, right? So if you as a police officer perceive a civilian using deadly force, that gives you excuse to use deadly force. Now, obviously there are a lot of like it goes to the question of like, well, why did you need four shots versus like just one, right? Like, um, like how far does that extend? Um, but that's that is an excuse that a lot of law enforcement use. Well, you know, lives were endangered, so you know they did what they had to do. Is kind of the the defense. Well, and this goes to the idea of what a police, uh, the police, what their role is in our in our society. Um, like um or or not necessarily just their role in this in our society but the perhaps the role that has been assigned to them both by us perhaps as civilians and and by them because i feel like and correct me if i'm wrong there seems to be a culture of and this may go to the idea of military the militarization. what am i trying to say the militarization militarization of the police is that they feel like their their lives are in danger at all times. They feel like there's a war raging against them. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that not like a, a, a topic of conversation in regard it, to? It is. Um, I mean, I I don't. Unfortunately, I'm not like super close to any current like active duty officers. Um, but 
for, for the for the retired officers that I've spoken to and, and from what I remember from when I was, um, there is very much an us them mentality that happens when you become right. uh, active duty police. Um, and, you know, and it goes to the idea of like a blue wall of silence and this this concept of like blue lives, like they, they the police culture is such that when you put that badge on, when you put that uniform, it feels like you are like inducted into this very specialized group that is somehow separate from other people. Like your humanity stops taking precedence over your authoritativeness, for lack of a better term. Um, so your, your being police is far more important than your being a person who, you know, exists in the world. Um, and there, there are a lot of things that are baked into police culture that reinforce those concepts. So, you know, you, you follow the unwritten rules because you don't ever want to be in a situation where you call for backup and they arrive too late. Um, you, you get trained by people who've been on the job for, I mean, Derek Chauvin had been a cop for what, 25, 30 years? Like, you know, he, he was police veteran. Um, so, you know, when you, when you get on the job, you're fresh out the academy. It's only been eight, 10 months. And here's this person who comes along and they've been a cop for decades. And they're telling you that all that crap that you learned in the academy is useless, right? That's, that's, that's not gonna help you out here in the real world. Let me show you what's, what the real job is. Let me show you how we get things done. So even though you may receive more a more modernized version of training in the academy or you, you know, they go to, you know, extra trainings once you're on the job. A lot of veterans still have that mindset of like, you have no idea what it's like out there, right? The things that I do, the choices that I make, the things that I say are because this is what works. And if it works for me, it should work for these new guys. So if I'm, you know, again, the idea of like, let me protect us. I want to make sure that this new guy gets home to his family. Like, do it this way. Forget what you learned in the academy. What you just said, protect us. As in, what side are you talking about? Are we talking about protecting us, the police officers? Or are we talking about- as, Yeah, as protecting- That's police. what I'm saying. That goes back again to just like, like all of what, if, correct me if I'm wrong, all of the last sense of, or thread of thought that you just had was about this idea of like us, we know what's good. You know, everything you learned is not gonna help. Let us tell you how it's gone, blue wall, like this type of thing. Whereas when I think of, it needs to be a broader skill set, right? Like being a police officer, if I'm serving the public, needs to be a broader skill set. And that kind of goes into a little bit of a the defunding police conversation. But like the military aspect, like the aspect of like, oh, okay, shit's going down someone's got a gun, lives are in danger, I need to go into that mode. It needs to be the final line of, of defense. That needs the absolute last 
skill set that's being used. And if they're, if the program is just this one program that's about, you know, the law and I'm, I'm executing the, you know, the, I am the hand of the law and I'm just, I'm going to protect and that's what I do rather than all of the other services, departments, things, people, places, skill sets that should be used in the, in the other aspects of what policing is. Well, yeah. So you, you, you get into this idea, which is that, especially for now, right, right now, modern policing kind of takes a jack of all trades, master of none philosophy to being on the job. So when you call 911, like, very small amount of calls go to like your local fire department, right? Oh, there's a fire. Um, usually if there's like a, like a safety hazard type issue that sometimes goes to the fire department. Um, I need like EMS services, right? That takes a, like a small percentage of those kinds of calls, right? And, and usually it falls under like send an ambulance. Like when you have that kind of conversation, like they do that automatically everything else requires the cops to show up. In fact, the cops even show up when there's a fire. The cops show up when you call the like They show up for everything, right? So their skill set needs to be extremely broad. But those, all of those situations are highly restricted because they never know what they're walking into. That's always the job, right? When you get a call and you show up, just because I called and I was like, and I'm saying to you, hey, listen, my son is on the spectrum and he's having a really bad episode. Like, I, I, I just, I need some help because I can't control him, right? You, that may be the call that you're getting, but you don't know what that means when you walk through the door. You know, you don't know the reality of what's on the other side of that. So the skills that they are given are the skills that allow for the most people to survive in any given situation, which makes sense, right? Logically, that makes sense. The problem is that there are a lot of tools that we know can be used in a number of different situations that they don't have because it falls under the category of like, in order for me to do that, I have to allow the situation as a whole to go out of control. So their general MO is let's get control of the scene, right? Whatever the situation, let's gain control of the situation. Then we can start to deal with any like nuance in specifics. Of course, the reality of that way of doing things is that people get pepper sprayed for no reason. People get tased for no reason. People end up shot, you know, you, you, you get some guy who feels very comfortable kneeling on another person's neck for almost 10 minutes, right? That's, that's the reality of what that way of thinking happens. So, you know, it's, it's this idea that I, am, I as, as the police know the best way to handle this situation. But the reality is that you're a person just like the rest of us. Well, but you're also talking about a scenario where the police are trained and getting paid. There's another, there's another one. 
if I'm expecting a police officer to be able to do all these things, they should be paid appropriately. We should be getting the people who can actually live up to that expectation. But getting back to what I just interrupted you, that, that they are human beings too. They're infallible. They make mistakes. They're operating in a high. Usually, at least now, especially because the atmosphere that's perceived at the beginning is I'm walking into high stress rather than just I'm walking into the situation. I mean, depending on what it is, right? Hmm. But um, uh, I just, this idea of um, like, in again, like going back to my little YouTube deep dive and just kind of going into trying to educate myself on this idea, um, something that comes up all the time is this militarization of the police when we're, it seems like that's what we're talking about. Like, is that the, that's the idea that, that we are, are that's our i know you can't see me necessarily but i'm i'm flexing um that idea of that's the first thing rather than other methods of training well i mean there's there um after 9 11 there was a lot of money that was sort of just handed down to police departments across the country and like with no real um, instruction or oversight as to like what to do with all of these extra funds. Um, and as it is with any budget for any group, once you're given you know X amount of money, you gotta spend it. You have to justify being given that money because if you wanna keep that that budget going forward, like you you gotta make it, you gotta make it work. So they they bought you know they 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 bought weapons they they sent them to all kinds of you know they they spent the money um and there is a lot of criticism out there for the fact that there has been this increase in military like training um because primarily when you join the military, you're trained to deal with enemy combatants. So um, when when you go in, like when you go into like soldier mode, you're anything on the other side of the rifle is an enemy automatically, right? Um, but policing is about serving the public. And the 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 criticism is that if you train the police train the military then the police will see the people they serve as the enemy that never ends well right that's that's so that's the basic like sort of concept criticism so Uh, so that so that leads us into i i mean we're living in a different like yeah go for it can I can I jump in for a second? Because you said something earlier, Akai, that I thought was super important and relevant in this whole conversation. It was this idea of once new recruits leave the academy and they go out on the street, they get into a car with a veteran, mm-hmm. and that veteran essentially supplements their training. Mm-hmm. This is where we get into trouble. This is where the generational 
the systemic racism, the generational issues, this is where it all takes place. This is where it all gets passed down. This is the, that's the interaction right there that perpetuates the problem. So the training process, yes, it has to change for sure. And it, it, it has to be like, you can't just send a new recruit out with any veteran. It, they need to go out with somebody who has demonstrated in the course of their career the best aspects of policing, the best aspects of that role, the best aspects of community service. And you know what I mean? Like put them in a car with somebody who can show them how to interact with somebody and, and de-escalate a situation. Don't put them in a car with someone who's gonna say uh, these little pricks and this and that and everything else. You know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, that, that to me is one of the, one of the key issues, you know, in policing. It's, you have somebody who's so eager to be accepted, right? In a new recruit, they're, they're eager. They're in, they just joined this club. Like you mentioned, you're, you're, I mean, everything you said was right on the money. They just joined this club. They want, they want to be, you know, they want, they want people to like them. They don't, they also don't want to be that person that, like you said, when they call for backup, people take their time to show up. So it's, it's, you know, you, you have, you have that, at the as one of the core problems with with policing it's just it's 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 passed down to these you know young easily influenceable i mean like we have our our landlords both of her sons they're both cops they're both dominican and you should hear the way they talk about people it's like you you're you know what i mean it's like your mom is an immigrant and like you're you're people of color and and the they, things that they say sometimes i'm just like i just am like flabbergasted by it and and even the mother though she's gotten sucked into it too you know like so it's just like i i i mean they're not bad people either you know what i mean like they're good guys they're they're solid you know and they they take their job very seriously but at the same time like i have to wonder like I'm like, what, who were you on, who were you on, you, who did you go out with? And, you know, in the car, your first, you know, six months on the job. And what, what were they saying to you? Because it's, it's, I, and, 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 and it's like, you know, and a lot of the other issues too is, it's just education. You know, a lot of the people who become police officers going to the academy right out of high school, they're, they're barely able, they're not, you know, they're not even able to drink yet. And here they are carrying a gun. Do you know what I mean? And like determining whether or not somebody lives or dies. They don't have the frontal lobe <laughs> development to make a good decision all the time. You know? Well, I think that goes that goes back to something I was saying earlier. Like, I want the be the truly the best of the best. This should this shouldn't be a profession of like, oh, I can I can go right into the academy. I want like apparently there seems to be this culture of you know us against them and like i'm gonna get a gun and like oh uh, you know and this kind of feeds into the 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 racism you know once i'm on there on this side then they they can very Garrett, well, yeah. isn't there i mean that's another you part gotta, of you gotta understand unless okay so unless unless someone is in a family of cops right 
and that's just something they're doing because everybody else in their family did. If, if someone's going to be a cop, they're going because they, they want to help people. Most of the time, most of the time they're going in with pure intentions. It's, it's learned. It's a culture that they get indoctrinated into, right? And, and until that culture changes, and it has to change from the very top, and it has to change from the middle, like, you know, it has to, it has to be, it, it, it's a culture. And there, there yes. needs to be a culture shift. And that culture shift is, it's, it's incremental, it's, it's going to take time. You know, it's, it's going to happen overnight. But again, it's things like this this last case we were talking about with Derek Chauvin, like police officers actually standing up and saying, actually, no, that's not part of our training. No, that use of force was not appropriate. No, he, you know, the people actually saying, standing up and saying, this is not okay. If cops know that other cops are going to do that, that's going to influence their behavior. They have to know that they they're not, and 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 there are legislative things that need to be included. Qualified immunity needs to go away. I'm sorry, like when you act as a police officer, you are still an individual, and yes, you're you're reacting to your training and you're reacting to all these other things, but that doesn't mean that the police chief back in his office pulled the trigger. You pulled the trigger. You're responsible, and you take someone's life, and you know without cause without proper provocation you need to be responsible for that and that responsibility may or may not fall to your wallet to your paycheck for the rest of your life and it should or you just require police officers to carry insurance like you do doctors or anybody else they have to carry police officer insurance and then you know their rates are, are decided based on their actions, you know? <laughs> you shoot people everywhere you go, you're going to pay $1,000 a month, you know? Here's, I apologize, guys. Here's one thing that I don't understand. And I, I want to... My question is for Jason, so... I'll, go ahead. Here's my question. If, and this is where we talk about Obviously, something from the top needs to change because if everyone coming in, like I'll, I'll agree, I'll I'll throw you that that bone of understanding of that. Yes, the vast majority of people who are coming into being police want to help people, but you can't tell me that there aren't a, a percentage, albeit maybe small, who are entering it for the power and to be a part of that club and to be able to hold the gun and this that and the other thing. I I. I can't at least acknowledge that that has to be in there somewhere because if everybody coming in, if it's a hundred percent coming in is trickling up, then why is it at the top? Something's raining down. So, it, I mean, we're looking at a, a systemic change and that's the, the um, like Jason, what would you say to someone who just says no the the police are doing their job there there doesn't need to be changed we don't need to defund the police or you know defunding the police is a horrible idea and, and you know we just need to keep like what would you say to someone who continues to 
have that viewpoint. My first conversation was, what do you think defunding the, the police means? Now, now, I'll be honest with you, like, I think that's a really unfortunate phrase. Um, there's always going to be a need for some kind of peacekeeping force in our society. There's always going to need uh, be a need for that. So the idea of there being no police is is an unrealistic idea. Um, so my first question is, well, what do you think defunding the police means? Let's let's talk it out, right? My thing is, and and almost everybody I talked to, because I had this conversation with my dad. My my whole thing is, it's like you are asking police to do things and to deal with things that they have no training, no background, no anything. Appropriate response for the appropriate situation. If someone's having a mental crisis, a mental health crisis, you send a social worker and a psychologist. You have police there to support them and make sure that they're not in danger, but the police are the backup. They're not the primary source of interaction. If, you know, I'm trying to think of another situation that you could we could bring up i mean too many of these things are just mental health crises that have gone awry you know and that police have been asked to to be the first line of of interaction and that's just not right it's just not the way it should be um you know and so giving them support having people on you know, police teams, having them, you know, because, you know, you have partnerships, right? You have partners who roll, drive around together. Why not throw a third person in the car with them? Throw that social worker in there, throw that psychologist, you know, have, have, or, or again, like, why not just have college educated people in the police force who went to school for psychology, went to school for social work, went to, you know what I'm saying? Like, Let's let's put people in there who have that educational background, that academic background, so then that they can apply that to the job, you know, and and learn how to like interact with somebody and de-escalate a situation, or you know, rather than feeling immediately as though their life is in danger, so they gotta pull their gun. You know, I think the training process has to be more stressful. It, it, it needs to be a situation where they're put in stressful situations, like really stressful situations, you know, so that they can l learn how to deal with that stress. Uh, you know, they need to have training, real training officers, not, you know, people whose job it is to ride along with them and talk them through it. Going to, going to scenes where they're not even a part of the the team that's re, you know rep responding to the team just evaluating what's happening and talking about it so that they have an opportunity i mean i'm sure they go back and they i'm sure they look at camp police cam footage and and in training and talk about you know what happened what went wrong what went right i'm sure all that's part of their training but until you're in the moment witnessing it and feeling the stress and feeling you know feeling it really feeling it you you don't know what you're going to be able to react and respond to and how so I think I think the training experience needs to be more immersive. I think I think again, like we need to expand expand the 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 definition. Well, not the definition, but expand you know the skill sets demanded to to be on the force, or or just hire staff 
to be part of the force to sort of help deal with these other situations that police are ill-equipped to do, deal with. You, you're right, Gary. You said there is there is a militarization of the police force. It's absolutely true. And and Kai mentioned, you know, that happened after 9-11. They just were given a lot of money. All that money was given them for anti-terrorism effort, efforts, right? They were they were they were supposed to build out um, their their um, um, intelligence networks. They were supposed to build out their camera networks. They were supposed to buy, you know, weapons that would help them to fight an insurgency. You know, they, it was it was all part of anti-terrorism. That was that was the big thing. And the problem, like like I said, they weren't really given guidance as to what and how and you know what proportions and they, they had no idea. They were they were just blindly flailing and throwing money at people and saying, here, give us this because they said we need it, you know, and how do we use it? What's what's the best practices? How can we make sure that we're not um we're not, you know, using it in a way that is, you know, racially profiling because that was happening a lot. Even with policing now, there's a there's a there's a thing that I'm um, trying to remember what the, the the name of the the program is, but there's like an AI program that determines okay these these neighborhoods or these this block happens to be really high in crime, so you know we're gonna send police there more often and you know whatever like there's there's all these things that and ultimately like it it it, it winds up putting again people of color. On the wrong end of a gun more often than not because these officers already have it in their mind that they're going into a, a situation in a location that that is dangerous mm. you know they're not going in thinking okay i need to i need to just check up on this this, this kid that you know that i i you know gave a warning to last week and just see how he's doing and see if he's you know keeping his nose clean and and you know just trying to provide you know to provide a a situation where he's he feels safe and comfortable and and able to talk to me if I you know if he needs something or if he's in trouble I don't know I just feel like relationships yeah. aren't built the way they should be well right and you're speaking on the idea that police officers used to be however they're not anymore members of the community you know just the whole um, idea of, of officers who are policing a certain neighborhood that don't live in that neighborhood. They obviously don't have those relationships. Um, I, I want to like, Jay, a lot of what you said, I want to go back to what, um, what you said at the top that, that the phrase defunding the police is a very unfortunate phrase. And I almost feel like in a I want to ask, uh, honestly, I want to hear your perspective on the idea of, the miss, miss, um, uh, not missed opportunity, but like again, defunding the police. That idea was taken and ran with to mean we need to get rid of the police and just completely rather than reappropriating funds to be able to include, like Jason, you were saying, like a third person in the car who's a trained, you know, psychologist or social worker or. Just, you know, redistributing the funds so that there's more people that are trained in different scenarios so that, like you said, again, the police show up to the door, but they're not the first people that are being engaged um, in the scenario. Yeah, I mean, I mean, defund the police is, is 
it, it took on a life of its own and the you know from the various like civil rights groups that I've I've like talked to over the last like year or so. Um, but do you feel I'm sorry to interrupt you, do you feel that it was the intention of the people who originally kind of came up with this idea of we need to defund the police? Do you think their intention was how it's associated in the mainstream now? No, no. I, I, I think the original concept came, or the original phrase came from dealing with riot police and the fact that they have, they have all of this gear that they don't necessarily need for dealing with peaceful protests, even if they're not like set up ahead of Right, people gathering because something is a legal right, whether you file for a thing in court or not, um, you're not necessarily like going against any constitutional right to to gather and protest. But when when most, especially like the bigger cities, when they respond, they respond with almost like military like proficiency. Um, and and a part of it goes to what Jason and I were talking about earlier. You know, they spent all this money, and all this equipment is just sitting there. Uh, and 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 the reality, and and it's, it's part of the lie that modern policing tells. The reality is that most cops don't see the kind of action that gets talked about in like popular news, right? Most cops never fire their gun, right? Mo most cops, right? Generally speaking, in an overwhelmingly large majority, like especially for uniformed officers, they go on the job, they deal with like petty crimes for the most part, and they go home, right? They don't actually deal with the kind of like high intense situations that we see on the body cam footage pop up all over the place, right? These are, by comparison, actually a very small percentage of police interactions. The problem is that the we as John public have a perception of the police that is not that's not true and they feed it right they allow that to pervade because it, it protects them right it gives them this uh, this idea of being infallible so the the concept of defunding the police has more to do with reimagining what the system of policing is right now. So a lot of people who say, you know, that they want to abolish the police altogether don't mean that they don't want a police force, right? They mean that the current way that things are is so flawed that no amount of maneuvering, no amount of training, no amount of amending can undo what's been done. We need to get rid of it altogether and replace it with something brand new, right? So whatever the new thing is can't be based on the old system. It has to be its own new thing, right? Um, and there are, there are people who, who, who use defund the police to mean a spectrum of things between, you know, get rid of, getting rid of it and replacing it to, you know, removing the sort of power that that money allows for police unions to wield in their cities um, and uh, you know, reallocating the money to other resources like Jason was talking about, you know, building independent you know, community-based councils that judge you know, various actions that happen while police are on duty. 
so that there's there are people who are looking at these incidents who are not themselves cops. Um, investing in you know more more in-depth training so that cops who are on the job are better equipped to deal with um, you know any situation that might arise. You know, taking a hard look at the equipment that they have and not just being like, well, you know, if we have more guns and more body armor and more this and more that, then we can deal with it. But being like, is this actually useful in, in the modern version of policing that exists? Uh, I mean, there, there's even stuff, I was talking to a friend of mine who was like, you know, there's, there's this idea in people's head that police are trained to be like pseudo marksmen, right? And that if they want, they can just, you know, I can just put one in his shoulder and wing him real quick, or I can like, you know, shoot him in the leg and keep him. That's not true, like at all. You go, you you join the academy, you get, they give you your first gun, you go to the range, they go center mass. <laughs> center mass, you shoot center mass every time. And when you re-qualify, because they all have to go back every so often to re-qualify, it's the same thing, center mass, go center mass right that's the conversation there's no put one in his arm there's no hit him in the knee no center mass that's what you're trained to do that's the training that gets reinforced every time so anytime they pull their gun it's it's baked into them to hit center mass but when you watch like a cop show or like the buddy cop movie right or the gritty like crime drama right they let you hollywood let you believe that if they want, I can just like put one in the shin real quick, right? That's not, that's, that's not a thing. If a guy's running away from you and you're running after him, the easiest target to hit is center mass, right? There's a thing that they have that's called the 21 foot rule, right? If it, inside of 21 feet, I can get to you and stab you with a knife before you can draw your gun and fire it. Right, and they and they they've run the simulation, and like maybe like ten out of a hundred, you get the shot off before I get to you. Did you freeze? Did I freeze? Did I freeze? No, I can hear you. You're not moving, but I can hear you. Um, but like, so there there are all of these things. Can you hear me, Garrett? I can hear you. Yeah, I Sorry, can hear you. I froze. Did you yeah, no, you, you froze just... for a second, Jay. Is it just me? Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Sorry. I heard that 21 foot thing. Yeah, so inside of, if, if yeah. I'm standing 21 feet away from you, I can close that distance and stab you before you can pull the gun out of your holster and get a shot off. And maybe 10 times out of 100, you get the shot before I get to you, right? But even with those 10, five or six of those times, I still stab you. So, right, there are all these little things that cops learn that have to do with them like staying safe. But we as the public don't get hip to that information, right? So for instance, um, if you, when you're dealing with cops, if you like back away in any way, or like if you put your hand up, that's, they see that as being aggressive. So why do cops say, put your hands right, in the they, air? That doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Like, like, what? <laughs> right, right. So there, there's a miscommunication, right? They see like you, like if you're backing away, like you're pushing away, like doing this kind of motion, 
right? They see that as being somewhat aggressive, as you being like getting more aggressive. That's how they read that information. Whereas we, as John T. Public, we read that as just being like, I'm telling you that I feel unsafe. And like, I'm trying to get you to understand, right? We don't see that in the same way. So from the beginning, we're not speaking the same language, right? Like I was, we were talking about this the other day, right? In some states, when you get pulled over, like legally you're under arrest. At that like that's, that's a law that's on in a lot of places, yeah. So when that happens, there are a lot of things that cops can do. There's a lot of legal like leeway because in that moment you're, you're technically under arrest. There are a lot of things that's expected of you. The reality is that most people don't know that, right? They don't have that, that information. If I knew that every time an NYPD cop pulled me over or stopped me, that like technically I was under arrest, I guarantee you I would act very, very differently. Whereas if, if it's just you stopping me and I'm, I'm thinking you're just asking questions, that's a very different conversation. Um, and then going back to what you guys were saying about, you know, Garrett, you're what, 30-ish minute, Charlotte? Yeah, something like that. Right, so the, the, the kind of MO that happens now is that a lot of the police in Charlotte come from neighborhoods like yours or further away. They're commuting half hour, an hour into Charlotte, putting on their uniform and then they go off to work. But they're not from Charlotte. Right. And the reality is that every locale has their own way of communicating that's unique to that area. Right. So Growing up in in where, where you are, like God forbid, they're kind of Asheville up in the mountains somewhere, you know, the way that they relate to each other is very, very different, right? Their experience with people who are not from that area, just forget even like people of color versus, versus not, right? Just the, the way that you communicate as people is, is, is endemic to that location. But you're going to another place where that form of communication doesn't vibe. Right. But that's how you filter information, right? That, that's what you grew up with. That's what you're used to. That's what you're most comfortable with. But now you have to deal with a community of people who don't communicate that way on a regular basis. And there's no, there's no training in that. There's no one who sits them down and goes, hey, uh, you're in this neighborhood, like all that stuff that you, like the stuff that you think is like that, that's not it. Right here, these are the things that you need to look out for. This actually means that, this actually means this other thing, right? But there, that's not a conversation. To quote unquote, you're supposed to learn that on the job, right? Well, but you're still going home. This, right? this goes back to, I feel like all of, we're dancing around the same conversation, obviously, of, you know, just reimagining, redistributing, readjusting how the police operate and how their MO is, um, how they interact with us and, and how how they feel their role is, how we feel. Their, I mean, this is a big overhaul, right? And one of those, one of those things is this idea of police being members of the community. 
and that the police are more skilled than just I am the military. I am I need to make sure that you know I'm going into it from that perspective, but going into it from the perspective of, of being a member of the community who knows people in the community, the actual relationships are there. Um, I mean, you know, like I, like I'm saying, it, 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 well, so let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. And let me ask, so the question being, do you think that we are at a place where we need a complete overhaul or is retraining and re just kind of like fixing what's happening now is that going to be enough i think i think we need to get rid of the concept of there being a general answer to this problem because i think that for a city like New York or uh, LA, like these like major urban sprawls, what's going to work for us isn't going to work for like a Minneapolis or a Charlotte, right? Even among like big cities, that some there are some cities that are, that are categorically different than others, right? Uh, and then you know the question of like a small town, like you know the, the Dante Wright thing happened. You know, like that—that's—that's that's a very different conversation. You know, that's a, a much smaller police force. Um, you have a higher chance of the police actually being from. You know, like so. I think, I think we need to look at at this as being something that's like, okay, this is New York City is this. How do we look at what we have? How do we then identify where we want to go? What's the best way to bridge that gap? There, I think there are some places where you need to take whatever systems in place and burn it and replace it with something brand new. I think that there are other locations where they've already tried, they've been taking some of those steps to move in a, in a much more like friendly relationship with the public. And then they've tried to tear down some of that antagonism. Uh, because, you know, you're, in any situation, the people who live in a location outnumber the people who police the location. But that's a much more scary statistic in a New York or a Chicago or Los Angeles. Because you're talking about several million people versus, you know, maybe a hundred thousand, right? That's a very, that's a massive difference in force, right? So pissing off the public in New York or in LA, it's, it means something very specific, right? A lot of the conversations that they have in terms of how to deal with this evolving idea of, of policing is, is around this concept of like, we, we can't completely piss off the public. Right, that's an element of their conversation. I don't know that like a, a Minneapolis police department is having a similar conversation in that way. Um, so I, I think that's that's like the first sort of. Um, I also think 
I also think that, you know, like Jason said, like it's regardless of what steps are taken, whether, you know, you, you take a more drastic approach or you take a, a long-term approach. Um, I think the thing that needs to be injected into the conversation is that the history of police forces versus people of color is wholly traumatic, right? And while, you know, modern technology has allowed for, you know, the, the more horrific incidents to be made public, there are a lot of minor incidences that don't get reported. You know, comments that are made, you know, altercations that like are kind of physical, but no one gets hurt, right? There's a lot of degrees below, you know, someone losing their life or someone getting injured to the point of needing to be sent to the hospital. Um, and I think that that also needs to be addressed, that people of color in this country aren't all of a sudden getting mad, right? These are conversations that have been had for Dec generations. Decades. You know, that look at pieces that like, Century. Yeah, Century. you look at speeches that, that Malcolm <laughs> X and, you know, uh, James Baldwin and you go back to like Marcus Garvey, like there were comments that they made that apply to right now in this moment and they're long buried, you know, so that, that realization that like, yes, while things have changed, there are some fundamental concepts that still are being debated, quote unquote, talked about, that have not been addressed until we can acknowledge that there's been a truth of, of generational trauma that's been inflicted, like one after the other after the other after the other. Well, I think, and I think part of that is like, and the thing that people don't really recognize is and this is something that I've heard and, and maybe, you know, I'm sure there's debate around it, but that policing originally was these community based organizations that were designed to capture runaway slaves and yeah. bring them back to their owners. That's where policing yeah. started. That's yeah. why police forces were created. Their, their responsibilities expanded when slavery was, I mean, don't get me wrong, when slavery, slavery was eradicated, they were still returning slaves back to the, to the owners, but um, they're, they, they wanted to keep doing their job. They liked the power. So they just found other roles for them in terms of, of dealing with the community and crime and all the other stuff. But that, that sort of historic element of their roles revolving around corralling and controlling people of color it's in their DNA to some degree. And while they respond to people of all races and things like that, and they deal with people of all races, it's, it's in their DNA. And, 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 you know, there's even in terms of, if you look at, you know, medicine, sort of this idea that, you know, people of color don't feel pain or they, you know, so they don't get pain medication because, because there's also this idea that they're all addicted to drugs so that, you know, doctors won't give them pain medication because they think they're addicted to it, you know, instead of just they need pain medication because they're dying. 
you know, there was a whole, there was a, a journalist who, or a doctor actually, it was a, it was a black woman, a doctor who had COVID uh, and they wouldn't give her pain medication. She eventually, I think she, I think she succumbed. I think she, she, I don't remember if she survived or not. I'm trying to remember that story, but there's just all kinds of fallacies that have somehow managed to survive for four centuries, for four centuries. Like, how is that possible with the expansion of, of, research and everything else that we know that people think that black people don't feel pain or like how is that thing i don't understand so you know there's 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 all these things that kind of are embedded in the dna of these of these professions and and until you're able to remove that and i think that's a big part of where this idea of like yeah we need to burn it down and start something new because how are you going to get that out of the DNA otherwise, right? It's it's a challenge. I mean, I, I, but but I think also Kai is very right that you do have to do it on a local level. I mean, I, I watch CNN. I try to catch a little bit here and there. And Van Jones has been on a lot through this whole Derek Chauvin thing, and, and he keeps saying, "Oh, the federal government needs to do this. Federal government needs to do that." I'm like policing happens on a local level. And this is something I also heard in a conversation on NPR, you know, policing happens on a local level. Policy is set on a local level. The states, the, the federal government can, there's certain things that they can do, but, you know, most of it is left up to the states. And then beyond that, it's left up to the individual municipalities to, to set the policy and standards for that, for what is expected in terms of the interactions between the police and their public, because that's where the money comes from. The money, you know, if the federal government gives the states some money, that's great. The states then divvy it up to the municipalities, and the municipalities then divvy it up how they see fit. And you know, it, it, it's 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 a it's a thing where they can just keep passing passing the buck down the line until it gets to the individual police officer and that person being responsible. So it's there's there's it's it is really a challenging and complex issue. I think. I think, you know, Kai's probably got way more information than most people I know. And he's, you know, really done the work and it's, 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 you know, but he's right. It's, it's local. Each, each individual community has their own way of communicating. And unless the police that are policing that area are educated on that and are listening and paying attention, listening first, you know, and trying to understand the community and really like getting into their, you know, DNA of, of what it is those people care about and need and you know without that information they can't they can't properly protect them and they can't know if two people are just like messing around or if they're, they're going to kill each other like they can't know like you know I think I don't again there's no easy answer I mean this is this is, is this going to something that be something that's going to be a topic of conversation at issue for a very long time, you know, I, I, and ultimately, if you really, if you really dig deep into it, it, it goes even further up into economic disparities and then the, 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 um, the wealth gap that exists in our country, you know, when people don't have what they need, 
they take it by whatever means necessary. And they get it by whatever, doing whatever they have to do. And until we as a society recognize that we have a responsibility to ensure that everyone has what they need so that they can then decide to work for what they want, you're going to have people who are just going to try and take what they want regardless. And when you have that, you create circumstances where people get hurt. You know, it's, I think economics are at the core of all of it. You know, when you put your money in the right places, good things happen. When you put it in the wrong places, bad things happen. And it's, 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 it's all complicated. Human existence is complicated and messy. And as a society, we have to be able to sit down together and try and figure out what we can do to improve everyone's situation. And without that, without that conversation, without that intention, when it's always about me and my family and you and your family and you and your family, and not about, hey, what does our whole neighborhood need? What does our city need? What are the what are the you know, what are the poorest people, you know, struggling? Why why is that person, you know, why is that person um, shoplifting? Are they do they need clothes for their kids? Or are they just a klepto? Because you know, there are people out there who just have <laughs> klepto klepto tendencies and you know, whatever, but if they need something why can't we help them get it so that they have what they need so that then they're not worried and they can they can go to work and they can have you know make sure that they have i was thinking uh, i just feel no go ahead i, I didn't mean to interrupt you i just feel i just feel like there's a severe lack of understanding and empathy there's a severe lack of desire to understand the plight of those who don't have what we have. There's a, there's this, this idea that, well, if they don't have it, then they are lazy. They don't want to work for it. And there's, there are all these circumstances. If you go through a person's life, there are all these circumstances that just slap people down. Every time they try to get up, they get up one step and they're pushed back down to the basement. And it's like, you know, it, until we help people get to the first floor, there is no way they're getting to the second or third. You know, we've got to get and, 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 and I know this is like it seems off topic, but part of what separates us in our in, 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 in society and what puts people at risk from the police is 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 all of this economic inequality that goes on right and if the money that we were spending on weapons and <laughs> vehicles and all these other things for these for for police officers who don't value human life was spent to provide education training uh, food clothing shelter a lot of the community resources, health, community resources, mental health resources, a lot of these confrontations that end the wrong way wouldn't happen because people would have the resources they need 
to 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 not have had the breakdowns or the or, or to decide to go rob that 7-Eleven or whatever. They wouldn't need to. Well, and there would be a system there would be a system in place that was a community-based system with people in the community whose job was to serve the community. I mean, like a, like a neighborhood watch on steroids and all of the other programs that could come out of that. Like you're saying, like, like we, like we were saying earlier, the unfortunate branding of defund the police. Yeah. How it should be redistribute resources from mil from the militarized yeah but that's not as sexy <laughs> it's not i agree with you and i think honestly i feel like if 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 nothing like from especially from this particular conversation like what's happening now isn't working i just feel like it's been not just from the concept of like the the origins of of the history of the police force i'm, I'm just talking about this perhaps most recent militarization this um garrett what does that mean to you the militarization of the police i'm curious like because you've said it so many times i'm curious like what your actual what you're taking away from that phrase or that or that um that concept when you when you use it are you talking about simply about their, I mean how is... they're equipped or are you speaking about the mindset or are you speaking about about how they are used to occupy territory like what is your i would say uh all of the above just i would say the mindset i would say the equipment um but mostly the 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 uh, the misconception of my job is to make sure that myself and my cohort stay alive the fact that I, my thought process is everyone else is is potentially my enemy rather than everyone else is part of my community and I, my job is to be a community member rather than someone that's enforcing law like um one one thought that that i kind of came across today was this idea of acting in the spirit of the law versus enforcing and laying your hand on the law like um the way that that the police comes to a situation and perhaps choosing to focus on the betterment and the safety of the community and the service of the community rather than the physical and military enforcement of, of laws. Um, like for example, the example I was looking into was that it's in some cities it's illegal to to give to cook food for the for the homeless it, it, like out on the street or whatever it was and the example that i was listening to in this video i was watching was 
the police officer rolling up to the per, to the person and saying, "You can't do this here. You're, you know, it's illegal. What you're doing is illegal." And the guy being like, "Well, you know, I'm f you. I'm gonna serve my food because this is whatever, whatever." And the police officer saying to him, "Listen, what you're doing is illegal. I'm, I'm off my shift in four hours, so I'll roll back through in four hours. But if, if you're here in four hours, I have to take you in." So allowing him because he, in the spirit of the service of his community, trying to serve the underprivileged and the homeless, the police officer made the decision, I'm going to let him do his thing because I am acting in the spirit of the law, in the service of the, the good service of the community and the good humanitarianism he's trying to provide for his community, rather than enforcing the actual law, which is this is illegal, I should arrest him and remove him from doing what he's doing. Um, that's just a random example and, and a video that I was watching today that kind of hit me hard. But if the the intention is I'm coming and that's the the first, I know you can't necessarily see me, but I'm drawing guns and and doing karate chops. But if the intention is that, if the intention, no, I'm saying in the final edit of this particular recording, it might not be visual. But I think, again, if the intention is coming to it of an us versus them, I think that's the mil the, the mili when I, that's what I mean when I'm thinking about the, the militarization of the police. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I, I get that. Um, my bad, Jason. No, I was just going to say, it was just interesting because, I mean, I think, you know, perception is a lot of everything obviously in life i mean perception is you you know you were saying like what we're doing isn't working and for 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 us yeah you're right like we would all agree in this particular conversation that what we're doing isn't working but for some people what we're doing is absolutely working it is absolutely, is absolutely working and until the perception changes for everybody until everybody comes to the conclusion that what we're doing isn't working it's going to be really difficult to change because people are afraid of change. I hate change. I'm not going to lie. But I also hate watching people die. I hate watching people. I hate, I hate things being unfair. I hate injustice. I hate the idea that, you know, walking while black becomes a crime. It, you know, it's, 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 it's a problem. You know, and, and, and I just, until, until we can get everybody on the same page, until we can educate everyone to see, and that's where things that are horrible, like the George Floyd situation, things that, you know, that we get these videos, we can see it happening in real time, you know, or, or, or until it happens to somebody, regardless of what their race is, until it happens to you where you're un fairly detained or unjustly detained or whatever and so you realize that like there are people out there there are cops out there who are just on a power trip like garrett said you know and who just are enjoying the process of being able to tell somebody else what to do you know and until we can get everybody to see see it the same way it's going to be a really difficult to change i mean even the stuff that's going on where they're looking at the capital riots now you know and what they're discovering and and coming, you know, 
it's like there's still people who don't have a problem with what happened who didn't feel their lives were in danger that day and I'm like I'm like but but does it does it not bother you that someone's life was in danger even if it wasn't yours like they were coming for people they were coming for people that should bother you but it wasn't you so you don't care that is the problem what you do unto the least of me you do unto me that's in the bible that which you do unto the least of you you do unto me and it's horrifying to me that the people who claim soul sovereignty over the religious experience and religion and in their lives or in their on their side of things are the ones that are okay with the fact that people were coming for some people that day and they're okay with someone losing their life you know and and even though it wasn't justified they'll be like oh well you know he was just doing his job but no like until it's your kid you don't know my brother got pulled over once he was speeding really fast got pulled over and got beat up by a cop like i you know my brother deserved to get pulled over he deserved to get arrested for driving 100 miles per hour in like a 30 mile per hour zone he didn't need to get the crap beat out of him he didn't need to have his face slammed into the pavement and punched in the face you know over and over so you know it's <laughs> It's this sense that, like, it's okay because that's their job. It's not their job. That's not their job. So until we can get, like I said, until we can get everybody on the same page to understand, like, this is what a community policing organization should be, should do, what their, what their job should be right is to protect all lives to whatever extent possible and i don't know i'm just sort of like i'm talking now i don't even know what i'm saying anymore my brain just kind of went on a left turn but it is a perception issue as well because not everybody sees it the same way and that one i don't know that we ever will until we can get as close to the same perception as possible it's going to be a very difficult road to make change i don't mean to be pessimistic y'all i like to be optimistic i i mean we're seeing i think it's 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 minute but we're seeing it you know that's real life i think that um, you know, this idea of perception, I think, clouds everybody's judgment. Us as public, these politicians, you know, there's there are these pervasive ideas that go into our decision making that that don't necessarily align with 
the real life of of those moments. And unfortunately, there are more stories that come closer to what happened to Jason's brother than than what we as a general public perceive as the interaction between public and police. The, re the, the reality is, and I saw this somewhere, that like most people don't really even interact with police like that beyond like passing them coming in and out of like, Starbucks or McDonald's or whatever. Like beyond your, your, your menial like high and by kind of interaction, like sort of like polite, inane, like whatever as you pass each other on the street. Mo you know, like when cops are working, they're working. You know what I mean? Like they're they're not using to like sort of talk to everybody and, and like chop it up. Um, and and most people are too busy going about their daily lives to be clean. You know, you know see a cop like cop like, hey, how's it going? Like, how's your day? You know, like we don't have those kinds of conversations. Our concept of how police operate comes from TV and movies. Right? It comes from from fake police, not real police. Um, so, you know, this concept of, of perception, I think, you know, and until we can, we can close those gaps, until we can, you know, remove the fog that exists, you know, yeah, it's, it's going to be antagonistic for a number of reasons. Uh, a large part of that is how we perceive each other. I mean, they, they did a, I don't know if it was the news, it was like a club show. They went out to like, like rural towns in like middle America. And they were like, um, have you ever spoken to black people? Right, they were like, there's been up like random groups of like white kids. And they were like, no. And they were like, well, what do you, what like, how is it that you know about like, like what is your, where do you get your like concept? Or they're like TV, movies, music, right? And the, the the reality is that overwhelmingly, not all, but overwhelmingly, the the footwork is not positive. You know, we're more likely to be the bad guy. We're more likely to be abusive. We're more likely to be the drug dealer. We're more likely to be the inmate. So. You know the the perception of a of a human of a well-rounded human being is reserved for a very select group of people. Everyone else fills an archetype, they fill a role, and that's 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 what gets put out there. That's what we all swallow. And it's not that we don't know that. We're all aware of it. You know what I mean? Like when we have conversations like this, when it's just a few of us, we all know that we're being spoon-fed things that aren't true. It's not that we aren't cognizant of this, of this aspect of our reality. But when you get a large group of people together, all that goes out the window. And it all becomes, you know, generation this and stereotype that. And, you know, well, this is what I know. No, you don't. No, because... You're drawing that from the information you got from your two favorite TV shows in that one movie that you got. Like, you know, my, like, I know nothing about what it's like to live on a farm in middle Kansas, but I have a whole bunch of ideas of what that's like that has no relationship to the truth. 
right? The reverse is also true. So, you know, this concept of perception, you know, again, like it, it feels like, at least in the bigger conversation, we tend to focus on, you know, yes, there are things we have to focus on, but things are out of our control. And there's not enough pressure for these kinds of conversations to happen on everywhere. You know, we're not, there aren't enough saying to everyone, like, hey, look, like, we will deal with the legal stuff. We will deal with the law, the policy, the bureaucracy. But like you, you know, John, you need to sit down with your family and have and not because I told you, right? Not because I, as senator, such and such, or congresswoman, whomever, or, you know, vice president, this, or X, like, not because I stood up on the pulpit and gave you this, this, this idea, but you sat down and had that harder conversation and start to acknowledge that, like, oh, maybe the information I got from the idiot box isn't true. You know, maybe the that the music that I'm hearing isn't everything, right? Maybe my ideas aren't a whole person, but maybe just a part of a few people. Um, so you know, I'm 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 right there, I'm right there with you. You know, I would it, it, honestly. This kind of leads me back to the idea. I remember last year in the going back to to kind of where we started in this conversation about the re, our reactions, our initial reactions. And I guess I'll I'll finish with this. I one of the things I was so infuriated about was all the stuff that I didn't know about. Like for example, the the actual historical context of the police force. Like I didn't know about that until last year. And I had this outrage of feeling like I was miseducated. This outrage of feeling like there were like, um, the, the outrage of kind of getting closer and closer to, um, understanding that we all are, are all being fed our own information and everyone is looking at the, the world from their own lens and, and we're being pushed further and further apart from each other. Um, there was, it leads me back to needing to start over. You know, it kind of leads me back to this idea of such misconceptions and miscommunications and misunderstandings and um, inequality. And these are baked into the history of our country. And at what point do you hit a larger reset button? So I, I feel like we're I feel like we're going in that, the, in that direction of, of needing some some sort of reset there's there on i'm sure there are a number of different levels that we could talk about places needing a reset climate change 
policing, wealth inequality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know, I'm just led more and more to this idea of needing to get on the same page, needing to, something needing to change, needing there to be a fundamental shift in understanding for everyone. That comes with Armageddon. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Yeah. Unless, yeah, the, unless the whole world order changes somehow by some drastic, horrible incident, the power structure will always remain in play. And even if the power structure changes, even, even if a revolution occurs, it's just going to be a different kind of bigotry and racism. It's just going to be, it's just going to be a different version of the same thing. So it, true equity is only going to occur if the world burns and what's left are just people trying to survive you know so there and for certain people that reality of the world burning around them is very real so i feel like we're we're getting to getting to some definite breaking point it's not it's not the right people it's not the right people Garrett. it's not it's not it's not the people who would actually be able to do something about it you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not the people who actually have the means to force the change. That's the problem. You know, it was it was funny. I was listening and to something on the radio, and the guy was saying about a white a white woman crying about something. And he's like, "That you, you, a white woman crying can make change." Like, you know, it's like so, people seeing a white woman cry about this makes a difference. Like. <laughs> And, and why is that? Like, why why does it take that? So it's just like, you know, the, the, the people, it, the only time real change happens is when very wealthy people get angry about something. That's when it changes. Because they're the ones that are helping to pay to put people in positions of power. And I mean, it's interesting because there's a shift happening in terms of political contribution. You know, there's a lot more micro donations happening. And you do see a lot more um, people getting involved in that on a small level, which is influencing politicians, but not all of them. Mitch McConnell doesn't have any micro donors. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I'm pretty sure Mitt Romney doesn't, even though he's, you know, not a bad guy. He's been doing, a lot, you know. I'm sure Chuck Schumer doesn't have a whole lot of micro donors, you know. So you know, there's still Nancy Pelosi definitely doesn't have micro donors. You, you know, you, you until until corporations and very rich people have a limit on what they can donate, and and the rest of us start contributing to that process, our voices won't be heard. We're getting we're getting really far away from our original um, conversation but jason yeah. <laughs> you know you know my favorite guy andrew yang you know my favorite candidate andrew yang had a one of his policies was democracy dollars yeah well he's you know he's and he was like get rid of it well no i get it running for mayor i don't i i hope he wins as far <laughs> as i'm concerned i hope he wins but what i'm saying is like getting back to what you were saying is one of his policies was get rid of um, lobbying lobbyists, the idea that more one person or entity can contribute more. If you get rid of that and give every single person 
in the US X number of democracy dollars that has to be spent in some political contribution way. It's gonna be a way to level the playing field. So what we're talking about once again is, is the rich versus the poor, the haves versus the have nots. The people who have the privilege to not, to be able to walk out the front door and not be afraid of an interaction with the police versus the people who do not have that privilege. Yeah, like you know, it's, we're on that level, but we're on that level of, do you know what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's that level of disparity in so many different ways and places and, and ideas and, and businesses. And at, where's the reset? Where's the, the redistrict? Where? I, I get, I, of course, it's, yes. Until people who actually have money, dude, I can't even, the amount of times, even as a young, as a white guy, the amount of times I've mourned and been upset about the fact that I just don't have more money because I know money makes the world motherfucking go around. I can't say that. <laughs> I should <laughs> just bleep, just bleep that out. <laughs> the money makes the world go around. And we're seeing that. We're seeing the money into the, the forces and the, the not knowing what to do. And the militaries like, it's all about the dollars. It's all about the contracts. It's all about the military. It's all about. Well, there, and there are what shifts point? happening, you know, and, and again, like, I feel like we should, we're kind of, we were kind of winding down on the actual topic. I, we got in a different I know, but that's what I, but, I, but I had to bring up Andrew. I had to bring up Andrew. You're seeing, you're seeing some, some changes, right? Like think about all the, think about all the corporations and, and things pulling out of, of Georgia right now because of, the voting rights law. So it, it there are things happening, and this is me now being optimistic. Is there there are there are there are people with money. There are corporations who are standing up and saying no to things, but that needs to be applied then to police reform and to to community service reform and, and whatever it is you want to call it in its new iteration. But until until corporations say I'm not going to be I'm not going to have a business in this community if this is how it's going to work. You know what I'm saying? It has to get that local. It has to get that, you know, specific. You know, we're going to we're going to close our store in this community. You're going to lose 100 jobs and you're going to lose all of these taxes. And, you know, so you need to either fix this so that we are not so that our employees and our customers aren't at risk or we're out, you know? So, I mean, it, it, it it's, it's one of those things it's gotta be, it's going to have to be a multi-pronged approach. It's going to be multifaceted. It's going to take, it's going to take the participation of everyone. The community has to shift. The businesses in the community have to shift. The, 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 the politicians have to shift. It's, it's a, it's, it's there's no simple answer. Hi, you said that so 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 long ago in this conversation. There's no simple answer. It's it's complicated and it requires a paradigm shift from everybody involved. And it requires everybody working together with the same goal to create a safe environment in which we can all exist, work, play, love, fight, whatever it is. You know, we have to we have to we have to be able to see it. In, in a way that even with differences of opinion we want the same things you know so right. 
on a very simple level, you know, one of my other favorite people that I got to I talk about all the time is Simon Sinek. You guys both know I love, I talk about him all the time. But he's, he was talking on one of his talks about, and just to kind of finish up or give a, a end thought on what you just said, Jay. Um, he was talking about the Cold War. And in describing the Cold War, there was the one thing that everyone could agree on was not that. The idea that nuclear bombs blow up and like, okay, not that. So we have to, that's the thing that whatever the hell happens between us countries on an international level, we don't want that. So until we as a, a community, as a, as a, as a, as a people look at it and say, not that, as long as we can start agreeing just on the base level of not that, not this, this thing needs change. Like there, this isn't working anymore. If that's the, at least the base level of, of understanding, then we can start having the conversation of to, okay, if not that, then what, you know, and then we can continue in that direction. Well, we just gotta find that thing, I guess. Yeah, well, I think we're. I think this. What we where we started our conversation was what is. This is we're approaching one of those moments, right? Because never nine minutes and thirty one seconds again. Never, never that again, right? But and yet, we're, we're so we got to start moving in that direction. And how how do we do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, certainly the the last year if not the last four years will be a moment that will be talked about heavily in in the not generations that. to come not the last um, four years uh, <laughs> yeah 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 um you know and i think you know it's and, and i guess I'll, you know i'll finish with this one that like we the way we are taught you know going back to this idea of garrett talking about like there were things that i didn't know until recently um, you know, this idea that that information or that truth that, that gets taught to us is only in service to perpetuating the system. Um, so, you know, even, even when we learn about how our government works, like there are things that are just left out of the conversation. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's this, this concept of the level of critical thinking that we get when we get to college should be introduced a lot sooner. And not just in terms of like how we question information, but even in terms of the kind of information that we are given. Um, and, and that that is in service of, of us being not productive members of the system, but productive members of our community or productive members of society. And, and it's sad that those two things are, are not the same, but they're not <laughs> in the way that we treat them. Um, you know, there's lots of information that we get in college and we're like, oh my God, I didn't know that. Had I known that, you know, high school would have been different. Middle school would have been different. My life would, you know, there, there's no reason why we should wait 18 years to have, to have that kind of sort of life-shifting epiphany. Uh, because, you know, I, I didn't know that, you know, officers were allowed to 
you know, I didn't know that I was allowed to when an officer approaches me, right? There, there's certain information that would benefit everybody if we had it earlier um, or if we were given it at all, you know, like some, there, there's lots of information out there that's just, you know, they just go, oh, it's public record. And if you didn't look it up, that's on you. And it's like, but that, you know, when, when, when it results in someone getting grossly hurt or someone losing their life or, you know, a city ending up in, in flames, uh, not to go off like on a massive tangent, but it's, uh, my mom posted this article about the the race <laughs> riots in Tulsa. They're coming up on like their hundredth year anniversary, um, and a very like long story, like condensed down. Uh, te black teenage boy is accused of sexually assaulting white teenage girl in an elevator, and the city had a history of when these incidents happened, they would just drag the accused like out of jail and lynch them. Um, so when it got out that this kid had been arrested, a mob of, of white people went to do just that. So a bunch of men from the black part of town, which was thriving at the time, and the number of them had like served, blah, 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 blah. They showed up to like protect this kid and like sort of help the police fend off the mob. Um, and somehow, like it's not clear how, but somehow the the members of like this, the group of white people got it in their head that this was the start of a race war. And they proceeded to burn down the black part of Tulsa. Like, like gone, like just in the course of like two days, they just removed this entire neighborhood rounded up people like interned them in like a bunch of locations like the police helped like the cops handed out weapons and like interned the families after they had been kicked out of their houses so that people could go and burn them down and loop it like it's, it's the story is nuts right but when we talk of like even just in, when we get educated on racism right that's not a story that gets told Right, that that's that's not a part of the conversation because you know you don't want to make one group of kids feel guilty you don't want to make another good group of kids like too upset right that there are all these like sort of justifications about it but that story gets at something bigger than we as a community certainly in Oklahoma but as a an American community would benefit from knowing right that the, the ability to think critically over that story would help us grow as people. And that this the concept that, you know, going to this idea of, of modern policing and, and all that's going on, right? It's not just an issue of let's rearrange the police force or let's rearrange the sheriff's office. Like it's it's everything. We need to to rearrange how we educate our kids about other cultures. We need to, you know rearrange how we allocate resources for parks and playgrounds and road maintenance. We need to rearrange our concept about public assistance, right? And, and people who end up on public assistance and what that means, right? We need to rearrange our idea of, of criminality and that just because you commit a criminal act does not mean that you become less than human. 
So it doesn't justify inhumane acts being done to you because you're perceived as a criminal, right? It, 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 this idea moving forward needs to be more about, not just about, I should say, um, you know, police having less guns or police having more training, right? That's part of it, certainly, and that should be a thing. But it also needs to be about what, if the community and the police are gonna serve each other the best, then both sides need to recognize where they fall short and adjust. And that's that that unfortunately is a is a bigger societal issue. Playing out on local levels, certainly, but it is a it is a it is a society question. Oh. Oh. Man, you guys always leave me like. I gotta go babysit now, like this little two-year-old after having this conversation. You all fired up. I know, I know, I know. And I have to go upstairs and, you know, pizza and toy, okay, bunny, bunny, right? Like that's that's what I'm about to go do right now. Um, I need to go home to my daughter too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mine's right over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, Aria, hi Zoe. so uh, before we go, uh, I just want to give a special thanks to you guys once again. Um, I'm sure we'll be back talking about other things in the future, but taking the time out to, to be free with your, your stories and your thoughts. Um, I want to give a thanks to our listeners um, for taking a journey with us whenever, wherever you are right now. Uh, and a small rem- reminder that the world is truly vast. We can't know every person's individual story, but it never hurts to take a step back and listen. Uh, I am Akai Franklin. Again, special thanks to Mr. Garrett Renetti and Mr. Jason Marquette. Um, We are the Breakthrough Movement, and this has been Breakthrough Speaks. We will, quote unquote, see you next time. And uh, thanks again for taking the time.